When I grow up, I want to be a stunt double. I want to be a YouTuber. I want to be a cleaning lady which, when I have my own business. Hey, Ray. Things have changed a lot since we were in college, haven't they? Oh, yeah. My, uh, my abacus, I think I need to oil up the, the threads again. <laughs> yeah. I remember I used to get a really sore shoulder from carrying my stone tablets and chisel in my backpack. A lot of exciting changes are happening in the world of higher education, and future students will have a much different experience than we did. Let's give a shout-out to the kids! So, they are the boomers, Gen X, we've got Gen Y and Gen Z. But do you know what the kids born after 2010 are called? No. Gen Alpha. There they are again! They sound like a fun bunch. A troop of tech-savvy toddlers, a pack of app-producing preschoolers, a group of growth-hacking grade schoolers. Okay, I'm done. Yep. Today we're talking about how the world of higher education needs to make a big shift to get ready for them and for the diverse needs of today's students. And how colleges and universities need to adapt and change to meet the needs of a rapidly evolving workforce. Welcome to WorkShift. We just can't think of a student as a student uh, anymore. Uh, they're much more unique, and that's why uh, we start, we've started talking about personalization and how do we personalize the education experience. Uh, and we realize we have to do that, but we can't do it individually for every single person because we'd never... Um, get it all done uh, but we have to think about you know how is our student different and how can we cater or uh, sort of um, um, personalize how can we make it unique to them so that they can uh, most effectively meet their learning needs digital disruption the gig economy artificial intelligence robots there's a lot of talk about these things in the media and online but what do they mean for you? I'm Sean McEwen. And I'm Ray Harapal. We're exploring the future of work and changes you can expect to see at your job. We'll tell you how this massive digital shift could change your career and what you could do to adapt, evolve, and thrive. Today we're exploring the stage before you launch or relaunch your career, post-secondary education. We're talking to George Brown College President Ann Sato. An industrial engineer turned education leader, Anne is also the co-chair of the Business Higher Education Roundtable, a group that aims to provide work-integrated learning options for all post-secondary students. She's also on the board of directors at Polytechnics Canada and has been inducted into the Women's Executive Network Hall of Fame. And she's a member of the Order of Canada. Ann Sato became the president of George Brown in 2004. And as you can imagine, there's been a lot of change in the past 15 years. We kick off our conversation by asking her about the biggest change she's seen in that time, just as George Brown releases its latest strategy and vision plan for the future. I don't know if one could possibly talk about a biggest one just because there's been so many and if anything they seem to be coming more uh, fast and furious uh, all the time. Uh, but uh, just sort of um, thinking back and you know maybe current experience is sort of newer uh, in one's brain or memory or whatever but um, uh, 
but I'm thinking a lot uh, these days because of some of the discussions we're having about all of the new entrants uh, in the education space. Uh, and that's something that 16 years ago we weren't even thinking about and we weren't talking about. And it could be anything from lynda.com. Uh, and in fact, we're working with Microsoft, uh, with, well, Linda or LinkedIn, uh, I guess it is now Microsoft, um, to, um, you know, to talk about collaboration opportunities, etc. Or you think of, about things like Udacity, which only started in 2011, I think, and that online uh, content, etc., and how, how people are learning and what they're looking to as uh, options. It's not that we're the only game in town or uh, that they even think about traditional ways of learning. And I think that's something that we have to be uh, very, very aware of. Um, the other thing that I've been thinking a lot about is how we have to, how the system has changed, and this is in a positive way, about creating more pathways uh, for students and more opportunities to navigate education in a different way. Um, you know, way back when, certainly when I was uh, going to school, it was you know very traditional. You went to high school, then if you were going to study, you went to post-secondary, and you went to either college or university, and then after you finished your studies, uh, your undergraduate studies, you might go on to graduate studies, or you would go to work. And now I don't think we have, uh, you know, that kind of a norm uh, anymore. There's no linear path, and it's uh, it's so different uh, now. And I think of our students, 40% come to us uh, directly from high school. 60%, the majority don't. Uh, there's such a diversity in where they come from and what pathways they've taken and what they might need to learn and what knowledge they need to acquire to keep moving on whatever journey that they're trying to move on. Um, we also have a situation where learning is no longer all classroom-based. Uh, and uh, again, uh, 16 years ago, we weren't talking about that very much. We had a little bit of, uh, I can't even remember what we call it, you know, but our use of the LMS and, and yeah. um, black, pre-Blackboard, I can't remember even all the technologies that we've used. LMS? That's a learning management system. It's software that allows students to submit assignments and connect with profs and class communities. George Brown's LMS is called Blackboard. And now students are looking at, in some cases, 100% online. They're looking for blended uh, learning opportunities. They're looking for uh, distance opportunities. And they're also, we're focusing a lot more on experiential learning and how that rounds out the student's experience and what they're going to learn and how they prepare. Um, and I think all of that um, has been aided by the introduction of technology to help learning, and that's a big change. And that whole technology space uh, from virtual reality uh, to all sorts of things is changing um, at um, warp speed. So that's how the college has changed. But how about the students? How have they changed? So if I uh, look first at that 40% uh, of students who do come to us uh, directly from high school, they're digital natives. Uh, we did not have digital natives uh, 50 years ago when the college system started. They use technology uh, in a more sophisticated way. They use it as part of their day-to-day. Uh, -day. Uh, it's ubiquitous with who they are and what they do. And uh, they're so comfortable with it, um, they expect to see it when they come to a post-secondary environment. 
Uh, and so um, I think that's just something that for those who have been around for a while and who weren't perhaps digital natives, that's a real change in, um, in what they see in their students. I also uh, think we're seeing, like, even though we're a very diverse college and we always have been, I think we're seeing more diversity in our student body. And that also links to the fact that 60% of our students are indirect. Um, they don't come to us directly from high school. So their background uh, are different. Their level of knowledge when they come to the college is different uh, their experience um, and so uh, how do we um, how do we support them and how do we serve them well in their you know ongoing education uh, journey we also talked to an education expert at Microsoft my name is Leah DeChico Ramu and I'm the director of education strategy and learning solutions uh, for Canada Leah has been at Microsoft Canada for nearly a decade helping educational institutions develop strategies for digital transformation. Before that, she worked for Cisco. She's also an Ontario certified teacher. Leah told us about what we can expect from post-secondary students of the future. The DigiNatives, but how we connect and socialize is different. So everybody knows we're in the midst of this, you know, upheaval and this change, you know, where there's chaos. There's opportunity, but I think it's important to see that what it's doing to the way we socialize, the way we communicate is very different. So mm. you think of the past where online communities didn't exist. The immediacy, of, the immediacy and access of information didn't exist. You know, wherever, whenever, whatever we want in terms of info, we have at our fingertips. So, you know, the kids, they know more. The days of info in the hands of uh, selected academics, that ivory tower is over. We all have access, and anyone and everyone can self-learn, synthesize content, and create new content, right? right. So think of, you know, Gen Alpha. Gen Alpha's nine today. I've never so heard that most, term. Sorry, Gen yeah, Alpha. I've never heard Gen that Alpha. <laughs> Welcome. Never mind Gen Y, Gen Z. It's Gen Alpha. They're nine today, and they're the most formally educated educate, um, generation, most formally educated edu generation. Hmm. And institutions have to be ready and responsive to this demand for knowledge and skills. And here's Anne. Oh, we just can't think of a student as a student uh, anymore. Uh, they're much more unique, and that's why uh, we start, we've started talking about personalization and how do we personalize the education experience. Uh, and we realize we have to do that, but we can't do it individually for every single person because we'd never... Um, get it all done, uh, but we have to think about, you know, how is our student different and how can we cater or uh, sort of um, um, personalize, how can we make it unique to them so that they can uh, most effectively meet their learning needs. Lots of things to consider. Say you have a 17-year-old student who's just completed high school who wants an in-class experience complemented by online components as well as work placement. Then in the same program, you could have a 37-year-old who's making a career change who wants most of their learning to be online because they work during the day. And as you say, it's the, the combinations and permutations of that that are almost uh, infinite. Uh, but we have to sort of, I think there's enough probably commonalities that we have to understand, but we have to have flexibility and adaptability in how we offer some of our programs and some of our learning to make sure that it's effective uh, for the student and that we can meet their needs. And at the same time, think about what are the industry needs and how are we serving uh, the, uh, the labor market. So how does all of this change, technological and otherwise, affect teaching strategies? 
Uh, we also have to we have to explore with people who are already amazing educators and teachers. What do they do and how do they do it? Um, you know, what can new approaches, new technologies bring to the picture? And how do we meld those? How do we prepare them? What different approaches uh, do we have to take? So I think by, again, uh, investing in that element of um, how teaching and learning might, and it's not just the teaching, because it's the learning too, right? So it's the learner. It's two parts of the equation. Um, and, um, and if we invest in understanding that, supporting it, creating the opportunities for people to develop different approaches and different skills, I don't know what all of those will be in the classroom. But again, if we enable exploration of that, if we enable uh, pilots trialing different things, uh, I think we'll get to a better place. And we also have to make sure we have that environment where we can share uh, those learnings and that people can exchange their knowledge, their ideas, their experiences, and that we can there translate that hopefully into um, uh, improvements for everyone. Yep. Change needs to happen on the teaching front, Leah says. We know now that traditional teaching practice isn't aligned to the varied way students learn and experience the world. So we need to live, deliver learning activities that build these important skills I was just talking about for today's digital economy. And these skills are the competencies. I mean, you know, there's seven, there's ten, there's a whole bunch that um, I see in, in research. But the main four are collaboration, creativity, critical thinking, and communication. George Brown has put a strong focus on helping students develop these skills. Well, I think those skills are imperative in one way, and it comes down back to adaptability. Um, that um, uh, if our students can uh, figure out how to resolve conflicts, I mean, that's a reality of everyday life. That's a reality of the workplace. It's a re reality of uh, personal uh, lives. Um, I think that uh, they're going to be uh, able to cope with uh, whatever or to, to continue to move forward. Um, and so, you know, I think those soft skills, those human skills are just um, uh, really the essence. I mean, you know, people say that, um, you know, uh, if they hire somebody, uh, they, even if they don't have all of the detailed technical skills they need, they can teach those. Uh, but it's harder to develop uh, all of those things. Or if you bring someone on, they don't have those, you know, ability to communicate, you know, those, uh, you know, ability to solve complex problems. If they don't have those skills, they're less likely to be successful. So I think we're focusing on that, you know, because what industry told us it's critical. I think we, we um, uh, intrinsically understand that it's important just because we work in a work environment uh, uh, that is large and complex. Um, so I, I think that it's all part of that adaptability, that resilience, that really preparing for um, an uncertain uh, and unknown future because things are changing so much. The world moves fast, and in the face of a climate crisis, automation, precarious employment, and rapidly advancing tech, resilience is more important than ever. So how do you help students develop it? One part of it might be looking at breaking it down and looking at some of the skills uh, that they might need to, um, to be resilient um, in, uh, in this new fast-changing and, and very dynamic environment. And that could be anything from tolerance to ambiguity, uh, which you can set up in environments to help uh, you know, people uh, experience and then figure out how they're going to deal with that to innovation literacy. So it's just that, okay, if something doesn't go the way that you're expecting it to go or it goes a different way, uh, it's not that it's a defeat or the end of the story. Maybe you have to think about how can I think differently? How can I think uh, out of the box to sort of uh, make this, um, um, you know, a solution possible? I think we also have to teach our students or make sure that our students have the ability to learn. 
And we talk about lifelong learning and how important that is in our environment. I think it's going to be more important to our society. Uh, and I think if we instill in our students through the way we teach, through the experiences that we offer them, the ability to learn, I think we'll be setting them up to be a lot more resilient in their future lives, in their future careers, etc. And I think um, another element that I think about a lot is how are students able to apply their knowledge in different contexts? And experiential learning is uh, one of the reasons that we really um, heavily um, put our focus, a heavy focus on that as a college a number of years ago as part of our last strategy, 2020, uh, was because we felt it was so important to consolidate the knowledge that they were, the skills that they were gaining in their uh, school or educational environment into the workforce and if you apply and I can't even tell you like I, I could tell you probably a hundred stories of students that I've talked to who have had some kind of a placement opportunity how the context of where they are in each case was so different that they learned something um, you know very unique about how they could apply their knowledge and their skills and again I can't help but think that that's going to lead to resilience in our uh, in our graduates. It's time to take a look at the Future Want ads. We've got a special edition this episode. We're outlining two. That's right. Two cool jobs of the future. We're going to ask our guests to give us an outline of a job that doesn't exist yet. According to the Institute of the Future, a nonprofit think tank based in Palo Alto, California, 85% of jobs that will exist in 2030 haven't been invented yet. Okay, Ansato, what have you got for us? a robot human collaboration coordinator. What will a robot human collaboration coordinator do? A matching uh, capability of a robot with the needs of the human. So it could be that they have some, uh, the types of knowledge that we're educating our social service workers or community workers with at the same time as those who understand technology and maybe we'll get to the point where robots can actually be programmed like you know with with uh, you know through AI etc to be uh, more responsive to the needs that they're being used for so and again if it's a personal need so someone who understands technology, maybe how to, uh, the capability of it, I don't know necessarily how to program it, but how to make sure it can be programmed uh, to meet the needs of the person, but also understanding those human needs and how those two can be melded. So it's probably a little bit of an evolution of some of the things that I learned as an industrial engineer with man-machine interface, but I think applied in a completely different context. What skills or education will be required for this job? That the ability to understand human needs in terms of service from uh, how to understand technology and the capabilities of different uh, uh, you know, robotic or software or, um, you know, um, uh, what's Alexa type things, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> whatever. So, yeah, so an understanding of technology and understanding of the human uh, condition and needs, uh, maybe uh, probably an understanding of some of support services available. Because uh, again, I don't think we can ever say that 100% um, of someone's needs are going to be met by technology or 100% of someone's needs are going to be met through human intervention. And, and maybe it's a marriage of those two or how can you navigate the system uh, to get the support uh, that, uh, that someone needs. Robot human collaboration. This is cool. This is cool. Okay, now we've got Leah's future one ad. This one is specific to post-secondary. Leah, what have you got? Skills activator. What will this person do? So, 
you know, a career, a, career, a career skills activator would work one-to-many with uh, post-secondary education students in virtual environments to guide personalized learning journeys and support appropriate accreditation accordingly. So what does all that mean? Mm-hmm. So imagine, you you know, you can, if you like, go to various lectures. Um, you can go listen to speakers. You can go talk to people. But don't think of it as a linear track. You have somebody that's going to, you know, over the over in a virtual environment. So this is one to many, right? Yeah. Um, in a in an education hub that sits there, and people can come in and talk and have appointments and so on and so forth. That will help identify what your areas of interest are and sort of package it for you. What do you want to see on a resume of a person applying for a career as a skills activator? The focus of what I, I would look to, look for in this sort of career would be the ability to connect. Mm-hmm. So you have you have someone that's savvy with the tech, understands you know the virtual world, tech savvy with Office 365 with an emphasis on Teams, um, the ability to build uh, and create personalized learning pathways for desired skills based on you know students' learning journeys, uh, to be able to devise on all the certs that are out there, different degrees, and the training necessary to build up the skills that will attract employers to uh, upon entrance to the workforce. Connect, there it is, connect the students to industry for mentorship and internship uh, internship opportunities. That's a wrap on this episode of WorkShift. What did you think? Want to share your thoughts on the future of post-secondary education? Email us at workshift at georgebrown.ca. Get in touch and we might share your thoughts during our next episode. This podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at George Brown College. We want to thank Ann Sato and Leah DeChico Ramu for sharing their thoughts with us today. It's the end of your work shift. Check you later.